this is not a good business. He's literally giving the business away. Yeah. He's like, I will give you a majority share of my business for <laughs> almost nothing. If you will just take it, please just prove to my wife that this is a good idea. Please just give Can me you your just money. prove to my wife that this is a good <laughs> idea? Because she thinks it's a horrible idea. I'm Jory Monroe, and this is Another Bite, where we rewatch all the latest and greatest pitches from Shark Tank, and honestly, some of the not-so-great ones, too. Joining me today are John Dick and Leslie Green, and oh boy, do we have some segments for you today. We've got a pitch that will make you say, another glass? Why not? Another that takes the worry out of leaving campus in a hurry. But first, we have a product that frankly is not my cup of pee. I mean, tea. Uh, you'll see what I mean. I think the theme of this episode is really receptacles. Anywho, first up in the tank, we've got Euroclub. Now, Euroclub comes to us from Floyd Seskin, who is a urologist who, while making this pitch, is just simply standing there next to a set of golf clubs. The simplicity of his setup should make you suspicious. So he's asking for $25,000 for a 51% stake in his company, which puts us at about a 49k valuation. Euroclub is essentially a, and I'm not joking, it is a golf club that you can pee into for when trees are sparse and bathrooms are non-existent. So the product is essentially a discreet, portable urinal that looks like a golf club, is not a functional golf club, but looks like one, that you can keep in your bag for those times that you're hitting the links in your holes are far away from the bathroom. It doesn't leak. It's got a protective shield, but this pitch was as zany as it sounds. So what are our first thoughts coming out of this pitch? In the words of Barbara, I am not the demographic, so maybe I should pass the mic. <laughs> Fair enough, John. <laughs> well, all right. First of all, I heard Euro Club and I was like, oh, hell yeah, we're like going to settle into like I thought we were pitching something else, like an at home club. Like DJ? I've heard you DJ a little bit. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> like many in the world, I aspire to be cool and will do anything that gives me topical relevance in the world. <laughs> same, same. It's OK. And so, yes, I have tried to DJ before. And yeah, the idea of being able to do a pop up club sounded pretty cool to me. So you're cool thinking Eurovision, <laughs> not urology. <laughs> I thought it was like, no, like a Euro club. Like <laughs> I went to college. I studied abroad. I went to, you know, I've been there. What a letdown. <laughs> this is not what this was. No, this mm. was a tube to tinkle in. It was a tinkle tube, a not tinkle a tube. Euro club. A tinkle tube, a pee pee pole. We have all the names. It was a pee pee pole. Yes. It's misnamed from the start, which is going to be a huge problem. Here's a couple things about this product. Number one, it is a problem. I've golfed a bit and sure enough, you're out in the course and you have to use the bathroom. You know, there's not always a bathroom available. The thing is, you know what they call it when they say you have to use the bathroom? They say nature calls. Mm. You know, you golf in nature. So you're just going behind a tree. So like when nature calls, you can answer it wherever you want if you're on the golf course pretty much. So that would just be the first thing is I'm not actually sure for men how big of a real problem this is. From there, though, I have a lot of executional challenges about this. Like the tube seems too targeted uh, <laughs> and the towel <laughs> concept seems too exposed. I'm a little nervous about just standing out in the middle of the fairway with a towel wrapped around your waist in front of your friends using the bathroom. Not going to lie, this feels lazy and inconsiderate. <laughs> I'm just going to, that's my hot take. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's lazy. It's inconsiderate. I would never in a million years use it. So that's, that's truly my take. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's like a long Gatorade bottle. You know, it's just, it's not, this is nothing about this is good. Yeah. Just like so many red flags going off in my head. Maybe being on the other side, haven't had this luxury of just being able to go wherever I want at any time, but I felt uncomfortable watching it. I would feel uncomfortable if somebody pulled this out. I'm just, I shut down pretty early on and that's my take. Yeah. This is not a good business. He's literally giving the business away. Yeah. He's like, I will give you a majority share of my business for almost nothing. If you will just take it, please just prove to my wife that this is a good idea. Please just give me your money. Can you just prove to my wife that this is a good idea? Because she thinks it's a horrible idea. He doesn't want the problem either. I think that's what I read from the episode. He's trying to make a point that it is a business idea, but he doesn't want to deal with this either. There's a lot of legal liability that I would be curious to know more about. What kind of legal liability? Indecent exposure. Well, I think that's what Kevin brought up. He was like, isn't this still technically indecent exposure in certain counties? And the founder didn't even know the answer. He was like, I don't think it is, but it's going to happen anyway. So whether it's a tree or like your own disposable (laughs) pee tube, whatever, right? So there's some legality of like, are you just setting up your customers to break the law? Yeah, (laughs) there are probably some states that have strict regulations where this could like land you on a list that could like change your entire life of like where you can go, what you can do. Even like Kevin Harrington was like, this is an absolute gag gift. This belongs in Spencer's. Spencer's at the mall could take this and maybe run with it. (laughs) This is a joke gift. (laughs) Yeah. The target market for this product is dads who are hard to buy gifts for. Mm -hmm. That is the target market. I don't know how easy it is for everybody here to purchase gifts for their dads, but it is a hard thing. So it's a gag gift for dads who are hard to shop for. I see bachelor parties too. Like I see this as like Mm. guys being like, dude, you can like pee on the course. Like that's the line. I can guarantee you as somebody who's had a bachelor party, no one is going to be held back at a bachelor party by fear of <laughs> urinating in public. Yeah. That's not the fear of people on a bachelor party. You're not going to need the tube. <laughs> the group text with this, this is how I see it going. Somebody sends the link. It's like, bro. And the other one's like, bro. And it's like, we can use this on the golf course. And then it just takes off. The group chat is just on fire. Yeah. Let's say you used it. Then you have to put a cap back on it with your hand, by the way, which yikes. And then you flip the club upside down and slide it back into your bag where all the other club handles Mm -hmm. are stored. And so that better be like a tight fit. His guarantee on that fit was like, I had a pipe fitter work on this. He said it's not going to leak. Trust me, guys. (laughs) How do we get version two with like a little flip up hand sanitizer on the side? That could be an upgrade. Mm -hmm. So would you two invest in this product? No way. I don't even want to be associated with it. I felt uncomfortable listening to it. Mm. So putting my money towards it. It's a big no. It's just a no for me. Misalignment with the values. I think a lot of sharks felt that as well. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is he has 12,000 tinkle tubes lying around in a warehouse in Southern Florida. It's true. And basically the deal that went down largely bought those for $25,000. So basically Kevin Harrington paid two bucks a tinkle tube 
and is probably going to like melt them down and use them to build something else or something like <laughs> scraps. So Damon was like, I don't even know how to market this. Barbara was like, I can't even see myself in this product. Rob was like, I won't invest in a product I won't use. Mr. Wonderful, of course, was like, not for my portfolio. So it was Kevin Harrington, the self-proclaimed inventor of the infomercial that bought this for 25K for 70% stake in the company. Surprisingly, the founder Floyd was like, that sounds amazing to me. We love that. So there was a deal. <laughs> but do we think this deal made the company, the Euro club successful? No. No. I hope not. <laughs> I'm no. like, I'm sitting here like, okay. God, I hope not. <laughs> they had one run for the holiday season. And then it turned out that the thing that Kevin Harrington actually bought was legal liability. And so they've shut it down by now. <laughs> Well, <laughs> do I have a surprise Stop. for you? <laughs> no. Yup. So like a golf course's refusal to accept water regulations in a drought, Euro Club is very much still here. Oh. Yup. The website admittedly looks like it's been time capsuled for the year 2009, which was when this episode aired. But you can still purchase a discreet sanitary way for urgent relief for that $24.95, that was the original price back in 2009. So like any good gag gift, you'll see the text, this is available while supplies last. So it's kind of unclear if those original 12,000 are actually still around and they're still trying to sell them and push them. The website is up just mm -hmm. to sell that 12,000. <laughs> Dr. Floyd Seskin is still the company's CEO, and the valuation today is still around $100,000. That's in part due to better revenue, but then inflation. So this is a very interesting case study of like what inflation can do. So the next time that you celebrate draining that hole-in-one, you can find relief later without ever having to leave the golf course. It is still around and available. So... <laughs> I just, I think responses? the only thing I'll say is like, I did think of one alternative use for this. Like, obviously, if it was brand new and you've never used this before, but like people love sneaking in alcohol places. And maybe this is like my young rebel brain thinking about this. Yeah. Like save some money on the Bring course, but beer. like definitely has to be a first time use. It's not enough. Not soap. recommended for <laughs> both uses, but sneak a little, uh, whatever your bevy of choices on the greens. Sneak a little hooch onto the golf course. So, a little hooch. Oh God. Speaking of alcohol, next up in the tank, we've got Beatbox Beverages. So this is a pitch coming from us from season six, and it is Amy Stedman, Justin Fetchel, and Brad Schultz coming to us for a $200,000 investment for a 10% stake in their company. So the problem they're trying to solve here is that boxed wine is too boring. They come in wearing their like stereotypical blazers and rip them off in this just glorified pitch where they're suddenly wearing all these fun colored shirts and we finally see our product. So We've got Beatbox Beverages, which is a boombox designed box that's for toting around wine-based punch drinks. It's said to be party in a box, but the differentiator here is that it's actually using orange wine instead of your typical grape-based wine to sell 
very hip flavors like cranberry limeade, blue raspberry lemonade, and margarita flavored. The box itself holds seven bottles of wine. And their idea is that the brand speaks for itself. It's for the younger crowd looking to revolutionize how they're drinking wine at a party. So thinking about our beatbox beverages, what's our initial opinion of this pitch? You're from Austin. These are Austin people. Is this an Austin thing? These are your folks. (laughs) I don't know if I claim them, but I feel like this walked so that White Claw could run. I think this really ushered in the era of how do you have a beverage that's not beer-based being able to move from location to location? I do think it is a smart idea. I think there was such a white space in the alcohol market for alcohol that wasn't beer and that was sweeter or when you show up when you're going maybe like someplace where you want to transport alcohol where you can't just like take a bottle of liquor can't just take a bottle of wine I think this makes a lot of sense I definitely as I was watching it I thought there's so much opportunity for branding changing the form factor maybe it's college again going back to that kind of college mindset like UT has their own sort of like UT punch or you know I think there's just a lot of room to play and it's a really fun idea idea. And I love that they tapped into something like orange wine that a lot of people didn't really know what it was and made something super unique. I like your take, Leslie. I like your take a lot. I think innovating in form factors and alcohol for a young demographic is pretty smart. Their whole pitch is wine's boring and nobody young wants to roll in with a bottle of wine. I do have a couple of problems. Number one is called beatbox beverages. It's not a beatbox, it's a boombox. I can't believe they didn't call it boombox so beverages. Like, I, I'm like very confused. Nice catch. It's like they don't know what a beatboxer is. You know, like I expected it was somebody who like beatboxed while they like poured your beverage or something like that. Turns out they're not so hip. Turns out they're not so hip. <laughs> you DJ, but do you beatbox? Have you dabbled? I know the formula to beatbox. You must demonstrate immediately. So if you want to <laughs> attempt to beatbox, I learned this from a beatboxer named Shockwave. Shockwave, he taught our kids on Electric Company, the television show, had a beatbox. And basically you say boots and cuts. Boots and cuts and boots and cuts and <laughs> boots and cuts. I guess you could really like, you know, like boots and cuts. I don't know. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, boots and cuts. <laughs> well, okay. So... My problem is it seems like they're trying to be cool, but the name is not actually Mm, cool. mm -hmm. It's what people think is cool. It's like they're trying to make a parody, but they're not going all in on the parody. Like I probably would have really tried to take the brand in a different direction. Don't have a box, just have a bag and call it Mm -hmm. booze bag. Or just like bulk booze or like nasty neon. Like (laughs) do something that is just like much more extreme or blunt than beatbox beverages. Hmm. You think about like brand longevity and do people these days, do the youth know what a boombox is? It's interesting to think about that. That was how you carried music and walked around. You didn't have, everybody had a cell phone. And so it's kind of funny to think that even if they had used boombox, would it have been so irrelevant 10 years later? I never considered the fact, Leslie, that it's possible this company was founded by millennials who just have never seen a boombox before and they think that's called (laughs) a beatbox. (laughs) That's called a beatbox. (laughs) I've seen one. I just, I I think about that. I think about how like there is a large generation of people who just started with an iPhone or just with an iPod. And so the concept of carrying around your music on your shoulder just is like dial up internet for them. (laughs) But back to the idea you had about the bag. I thought it was really interesting. They talked about Franzia, which has a surprising chokehold on the market because Franzia is absolutely terrible. But, you know, there's the novelty of the slap the bag. 
I think they could have done something there a little bit more clever. Yeah. This product is all about just trying to win hearts and minds and getting people to want to try it because it's actually different enough and cool enough that they want to bring it to a party. They want to be distinctive at a party and roll in with the neon booze bag instead of a box of Franzia. And they want that to be something that draws Mm -hmm. attention to them. And so therefore, like, I think it's just got to go more extreme on every angle from the branding to the packaging to like leaning into the ways that people actually consume it. Like you should maybe like put a handprint right on the side of the bag for where people should slap, you know, things like that, that I think would become like good Easter eggs. So that's what I would do. I think the insight that the shark started to have is that this is all about speed and like size of mobilization. Like, can you just get a bunch of people talking about your product and make like a bunch of Mm -hmm. forward momentum? I think Red Bull's an interesting example. It's now become like extreme sports, Mm -hmm. but that's not what it it was just clubs. And they just literally were just like, we're going to go around to every club and we are going to like put Red Bull everywhere. And I think it's kind of the same here. You'd have to choose a niche for who this is right for. And you'd have to go super hard at them. Just go to the frat row in every college town and just like drop off you know, nasty neons. Yeah. I mean, college students are looking for like the cheapest price per ounce for as much alcohol as you can get. Let's not beat around the bush. So, you know, if you do look at the Red Bull model, the way that they had college ambassadors, there was always a Red Bull car on campus at some point during the year. Like, how do you make that happen? Is it around football games? Thinking about when the intent to get really drunk is high and matching that with the activations. But like, I cannot imagine walking into a liquor store and being like, "Mm, let me have a little sip of this beatbox beverage. This is nice. This margarita orange wine. (laughs) It's so funny because literally even Mr. Wonderful was just like, this tastes like Of course it tastes horrible. It's a horrible beverage in a bag. It's orange wine. It's not like people don't drink orange wine because like, We just haven't discovered it. It's like, you know what I mean? Like people that are looking for quantity, not quality drinking. Oh, a thousand percent. (laughs) I mean, like people buy Franzia because it is cheap or we even had these like big like gallon jug wine things. And it's like if you could just get that group of people to change their preference, you're set. Yeah. Kevin did think it tasted like not so great, but I was actually surprised because all of the other sharks like Mark, Barbara, Lori and Robert, they all liked it. They were like, this is actually not so bad. They started out as their own winery and then eventually moved to a co-packer. They were doing pretty well, right? In the first 14 months of being in business, they had done uh, $235,000 in sales. That's not so bad for wine in a box. Yeah, so this is really the question here is, do they have the right business model or approach? The only reason they should run their own winery to actually produce the product, even if it gets packaged elsewhere, would be because they can make it cheaper than they could buy something from somebody else. I would have to assume that you could buy any sort of just cheap wine yeah. from any mass market winemaker, mm-hmm. something much, much, much cheaper, and just bring all your costs down there. Because this is not about the taste of this product. This <laughs> is all about cost per I agree with that. Like get the alcohol in it, then do some development to make your kind of core flavors and then just run with it and you can reduce that cost. Yeah. There was no breakdown in this segment on like how much does it cost to produce each box? Mm -hmm. Just that as soon as this company started to gain momentum, they signed on with a co-packer. Like I assume they're running their own winery still, but maybe Mm -hmm. not. Maybe I'm wrong about that. 
just based on what little we know about the economics of this company, but potentially the branding potential, especially if they start to think about like larger events or kind of following more of a Red Bull model. Would you invest in this company knowing what the Sharks know at this point? I actually like the time frame when they came up with this. I think it did have such a novelty factor. And I think that younger market, you know, maybe when you're past 30, you're not buying Beatbox. I don't know. But if you can like kind of get people introduced to that the same way people buy Natty Light or something cheap like that, I think there's a really good market for it. I think I would have been in. I, I liked it. I'm not investing. On paper, Leslie, I agree with you that this is an innovative concept to try and innovate within the alcohol category. My issue with it is like, I would want to change nearly everything about Mm -hmm. it. I'd want to change basically how we supplied the alcohol. I'd want to change the branding. I'd want to change how we took it to market and where we focused. And when I look at it through that lens, like I'm not seeing a reason to actually like bet on these people. Mm -hmm. And so why not do it myself for hundred percent of the equity if that's the business I want to get in? But it was interesting because I think the sharks that got involved in this deal were definitely the ones that I think are usually stronger when it comes to like marketing and branding. Barbara started strong. She came in actually at 400K for 20%, which was much over the asking price for a little bit more equity. It was interesting because... We had a Mr. Wonderful Kevin follow up being like, don't choose Barbara. She doesn't know at all what she's doing because I have O'Leary wine. So I'm clearly a wine connoisseur. So he comes in asking for the same amount of equity, that 20% for 200,000. And I'd love to see the banter between the sharks because I feel like Robert comes to Barbara's defense a lot. And Robert was like, eh, you just have a snooty wine brand. You need to sit down. But it's always interesting when Mark gets involved because much to your point, John, I think that he was like, look, you're not trying to really sell quality wine. That's not what you're here for. You're trying to sell fun. And he's like, I've got exactly what you're trying to sell. The problem is, is that, again, to scale as quickly as they need to, they're going to need to connect to enough people to make that big splash and go viral. So he came in knowing what he knows at 600,000 for 33%. And he asked for that equity stake because he has experience with that kind of virality that they were trying to achieve. The founders were very bold, countered for 1 million for 33%. But Mark clearly had a strategy in mind because he was like, yeah, deal. So we ended up with the final deal being 1 million for 33%, which is a pretty big deal for Shark Tank. This is a really big valuation for their company. So do we think that Mark's intel, his know-how of the industry paid off? I feel good about this one. Okay. John? I think with him putting a million dollars in, I think he must have had a really clear idea of what he was going to do. And so I assume he went out and did it. And I bet it probably worked okay. In Mark, we trust. (laughs) TM. We need a t-shirt. In Mark, we trust. All right. So in terms of is Beatbox Beverages still a company, uh, turns out the world's tastiest party punch is very much still a company. So the company has notably dropped the Beatbox, but it's really a boombox packaging, for single carton drinks now. So they've expanded into canned mixers as well that include seltzer cocktails and hard seltzers. So not only have they kind of change their model for how they're selling their delicious cocktails, but they're also kind of diversifying 
specifying what they're selling. So they were recently featured in an update that aired on the latest season, so season 14 of Shark Tank. And they said that they did $350,000 in sales before Shark Tank and about $750,000 of sales after. When they ditched the boom box for their single serve drinks, sales actually went from 1 million to 2 million, with sales doubling again in 2019 to 4 million. So since appearing on the show, this brand has made $57 million in lifetime value. So they're currently sold in over 200 7-Eleven stores. Perfect. We love an on-brand distribution strategy. I actually want to shout out their Twitter. I feel like Twitter is one of the places that there are certain brands that can do it really well. Mm. And their Twitter is a little unhinged and I kind of love it. I would give it a follow. I would give their Twitter a follow. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's pretty awesome. I have learned more about box wine on this show than I think I ever needed to. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the the single serve thing is really interesting. I think that's the mode of transportation, right? Like you're not carrying a glass bottle Mm -hmm. of wine somewhere. You're carrying a can. You're carrying something that can not be broken, can be thrown away. So I think it's really smart that they transitioned from that. I'm showing up to a house party transportation mode to I could walk with this probably discreetly somewhere and then toss it. No, it's discreet. A golf club. Yikes. (laughs) You could put the beatbox in the golf club for a collab. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So golf clubs and beatbox beverages aside, last up in the Shark Tank for today's episode is the Storage Scholars. This pitch was interesting because you've got this big box rolled in and pop, out come our two founders, Sam Chanson and Matt Gronberg. They're coming to us asking for a $250,000 investment for a 5% stake in their company. And the problem these two are trying to solve is that, like, you know, college is hard, dealing with moving and storage all before finals, forget about it. So introducing Storage Scholars, which is a full-service, end-to-end moving service for college students, from the boxing to the moving to the storage. It's all done through partnerships with different colleges and universities. And the key to their success is they have this patented key access system that gives movers direct access to the rooms. And then all the belongings for each of the college students are kind of packaged up, stored, and then re-delivered to campus the following semester so that when students come back to their new room, they've already got everything set up. All the moving is done by fellow college students. So there's like the additional benefit of creating on-campus paid jobs. What are our initial thoughts of storage scholars? I think you misdescribed the demographic, Jory. You said it's for college students. It's for rich college students. Exactly, yeah. Fair. But now there happen to be a lot of rich college students or college students with rich parents, but My first thought when I saw this was like, oh my God, who's got like 560 bucks lying around? Like I'd rather just burn my couch. Yeah, no, there were pieces of it that obviously I think are, they're smart and they're clever, but there is just something about learning how to move yourself that I think is like an important life skill. When you just have people throwing your stuff in a box and you have no idea what you have, that's how you end up getting all the stuff that you don't need. I don't know. I think it's smart. And obviously there's people who have the money to make this happen. And I think the thing that I liked most about it is like creating the jobs and eliminating the debt that someone might have on campus. I think that to me is the most compelling component of this entire business. I really liked that about it. It was interesting to me, and I don't know if anybody feels this way, but like, I don't know if 
I want somebody else who I go to college with moving all my stuff. I had the same thought, Leslie. That's like, I don't know if I want my like neighbor down the hall coming to pack my stuff up. Maybe that'd be a little weird. You're for like me. in class with them the following semester. Like, hey, I actually remember that you keep your diary on the left hand side under the uh, book that you like to read. And it's like, mm, it's a little too much for me. Why do you know that? Yeah. But beyond just being like a moving company, we also have this online platform Mm -hmm. that they've built and this app to use the service. What do we think of that component of the business? I mean, it's smart. It's a differentiator. The tech, the being able to get in and out and building the the trust with the colleges, I do think is what could set them apart from, you know, maybe just like a general local moving company. And I think when you get that trust of the campus and like you have the Storage Scholars logo, if you can get a campus website that says, don't forget, move out is in two months, you know, here's how to do it quick. I think that is a really, really smart partnership that sets them apart. And I do love the tech component of it. Yeah. So we're getting into the actual business now. And this is where I get really positive. I love businesses that outsource services and make it easy so people don't have to do every single thing in their life. I think it's really cool. And I think you will almost always find a market for those businesses in the world because there's so many people Mm -hmm. who value their time differently. And I think if you are at an affluent university where many people travel from out of state to attend it, like it is a real problem. What do I do with Mm -hmm. my stuff all summer? Like, I don't want to get rid of everything and start from scratch. And so this solves like a real problem. The cost is high enough that they can make some decent money, but not so high that a really affluent family wouldn't be willing to shell it out for a summer of storage. And I think that the partnership piece that you brought up, Leslie, is the most important thing. And if these kids can go build incredible partnerships with some universities that get them access and make it really seamless for them to run the business, I think it'll be really successful. It was unclear to me that the tech actually opened the doors. The tech feels fairly replicatable. It feels like the partnership and the relationship is actually the thing that is their moat, if you will. Yeah, a lot of new colleges do have those like keyless entry kind of doors. That's pretty standard. So I thought that was really cool. This just seems like this is just a great business. They are making 65% gross margins. Mm. And really the labor that they need is going to always be cheap and plentifully available. And so that's not going to be a constraint for them. So scaling won't be hard. It's literally about whether or not they can hire enough like quality general managers to like have a general manager for every university town Mm -hmm. in the country to like manage the relationship appropriately with the university. But they don't really have to do any marketing. They can basically word of mouth and put flyers around campus and get the college to market for them. This is just a great cash flow business. So would you invest in storage scholars if you were a shark? I would invest. I would definitely invest. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. You like it. Cool. Well, our sharks liked it too. (laughs) Spoiler. (laughs) Spoiler. We had some deals on the table, but it was really Mark that I think was these founders dream shark because as soon as he was like, all right, I'll give you 250K for 12%, both of them immediately turned their bodies and were like, all right, we are in it. We are in the game. They tried to countermark, bring it down a little bit. I think he was like willing to give them some flexibility. So he brought his equity ask down from 12% to 10% and they sealed the deal for 250,000 for 10%. Why do we think that Storage Scholars is actually coming to Shark Tank? I'm not getting clout vibes. I don't know. 
I am a sucker for the story. I'm a sucker for it was them solving their own problem. I do think they felt so invested in kind of the community that they had built at Wake Forest and wanted to replicate it and make it happen. But I don't know, John, what did you think? I don't know why they came on Shark Tank, if I'm being honest. I think when we talk about clout, we talk about it in terms of like clout for the business, like brand Mm -hmm. recognition or, Mm -hmm. you know, credibility or something. This seemed honestly like they came on Shark Tank because they personally wanted to get to know Mark Cuban. And they seemed so pumped at the end to take a deal with him. They were like, I can't believe it. We're going to be Cuban. You know what I mean? And I think it was just about that because if they wanted to get rich, They should have literally just read the book about Uber, super pumped, and run the Uber model and been as aggressive as possible about going to every university, putting flyers up everywhere, building enough demand so that the universities would want to work with them or have to work with them. And that's what you would do. And it would just be literally about time to market and speed to market. And I don't think $250,000 for Mark Cuban does that for them. I think they need a bigger check so they can deploy it immediately and take much higher risk to get much higher returns. So it felt like they just wanted to do it themselves. Personal growth. Yeah, I do feel like there's probably some connections in the like scale world that they may not have been able to make without him. And so maybe that is a little bit of clout, but I don't want to be sad on somebody who maybe is just interested in working with Mark. It was a huge accomplishment for them and it was actually really cool to see. I hope they're doing well. Me too. Time will tell. (laughs) Today's episode was written and produced by the wonderful Matthew Brown. Additional support for the show comes from Melanie Romero and Robert Hartwig. And for all of you Spotify users out there, let me tell you about a special new feature. Okay, are you on your phone? Pop that out of your pocket, fire up today's episode screen, and take a look. You'll see a section called Q&A with just an adorable little reply button right below it. Tap that button and write to us directly. Yeah, direct feed from your fingertips to our inbox. What a feature. What a technology. Each episode has a new question, so make sure you stay in touch. All right, that does it for me. See you next week for another bite.